Good evening and welcome to our Champaign City Council study session for July 13th, 2021. We are going to start with some special recognition. Councilmember Fulmer, I think you are first. Whereas Marilyn Banks joined the city of Champaign as the city clerk and records manager on January 16th, 1990. She will retire as city clerk this Friday, July 16th, 2021, capping a career of public service lasting 31 years and six months. And whereas during her tenure, Marilyn has been the city clerk during 17 different city council terms. She has served under four mayors, two city managers, and 39 different members of the city council. And whereas she has served on several committees throughout the organization, including the Employee Recruitment Advisory Committee, Communications Advisory Committee, and the Diversity Leadership Council, and whereas Marilyn has been an organizational expert in the record retention and disposition processes, licensing provisions, Freedom of Information Act, and Open Meetings Act, and whereas Marilyn has consistently demonstrated city values in her work and interactions with internal and external stakeholders. Furthermore, she has often played a role in city recruitment processes making potential hires feel welcome and at ease. And whereas, Marilyn's service has been honored by her peers with eight employee awards, including awards for teamwork in 1990, 1998, 2010, 2017, and including the city's implementation, implementation of the Mooney's financial system and the digital preservation of city council records dating back more than 160 years. And whereas Maryland has attended over 800 meetings of the city council of the city of Champaign, <laughs> wow. 800, <laughs> and prepared over 1,600 sets of minutes of city council meetings she has also coordinated the preparation and release of numbers of closed session minutes and whereas Marilyn has been instrumental both as the local election official and as a member of the city of Champaign election board in the conduct and fair elections and electoral board decisions and 15 different election cycles. And whereas Marilyn has also ably served as the records keeper and clerk for the city of Champaign Township and whereas Marilyn has served as the liaison to the state archivist and is responsible for the preservation retention and disposition of the city's records from 1860 to the present day and whereas Marilyn has also been responsible for maintaining the city of Champaign municipal code and whereas Marilyn is the longest serving city clerk and township clerk in the history of the city of Champaign when marking the culmination of such career, it is appropriate that the members of the Champaign City Council should come together to express our appreciation for her service and our gratitude for a job well done. Now, therefore, we, the members of the City Council of the City of Champaign, do hereby honor the more than 31 years of service and exemplary career of Champaign City Clerk Marilyn Banks.
And I have to say that Marilyn likes to take her breaks downstairs and outside, and some of my favorite times of day are just when I pull up to the city building and park, and she happens to be there, and we get to just chat for a few minutes and take a break from all of the work that we do at the city, and I just have really enjoyed those little bits of private moments. I am going to miss you very much. Uh, and with that, we need minutes. Uh, Your Honor, I move to approve the minutes of June 15th, 2021 regular council meeting. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Mr. Kester. Uh, city manager, do you want to introduce it or can I go? All right. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Council, uh, Public Works has received an application for an honorary street designation for Mr. Walter Smith. The requested location uh, for the designation uh, is 5th Street between Tremont and Eureka Streets. Public Works has reviewed the application and the request complies with all requirements of Council's honorary street name designation policy. This would be the third regular designation of 2021. Our policy allows for four regular recognitions annually. And so staff is here seeking direction for preparation of the resolution for the honorary designation. Thank you. Are there any technical questions? Seeing none, is there anyone in the audience who wishes to address this issue? If so, please step forward, state your name and city of residence and limit your comments to five minutes or less. Hi, Council Mayor. I'm Creel Unbeloved. I live in Garden Hills on Anita Drive in Champaign. And I was a little concerned when I was reading this Neal Street Plaza plan. Um, where We're talking is... about the honorary street name. Neal Street Plaza's next. Okay, I'm sorry. That's what you had up on your screen. Oh, sorry. I apologize. Honorary street name. If anyone wishes to address that issue, please step forward. Hello, my name is Diane Nesbitt. I know some of you in the room and whatnot. I love to talk, but I hate to get in front of an audience. But <laughs> I'm here on my um, daughter. She did an article. I hope, hopefully you all have seen it in the News Gazette today or whatnot. And she was unable to be here because she has to work tomorrow in Chicago. So I volunteered to come and speak on her behalf um, to talk about Walter and why we think that the street should be named after him. Um, my, my daughter was still saying today, she said, I wish I had it known that he could have done this while he was alive because he would just be on top of the roof right now. That would be Walt. But Walt loved to play. He loved to be with kids. He did Special Olympics. He worked at Champaign Park District. Um, Walt. He came here. He went to school at the University of Illinois. He pledged the Alpha. Um, I remember times going with Walt when um, he played for, when they had games with Special Olympics and whatnot, it was so hot out there, but Walt never gave up. He pushed the kids, I mean, and they would call him Big Walt, Big Walt, you know, what we're supposed to do now, what we're gonna do now, what we're gonna do now, but he loved kids. That's, that's it, that was his main, main purpose in life was kids. And his girls, they loved to go with their dad because then they could get to hang out, stay out late, you know, whatnot. <laughs> so that, that was big fun, staying out late with daddy, you know, whatnot, so. Um, he was able to see his, his youngest daughter get married. Ooh, 
I don't even remember the year, I think a couple of years ago, but that was a proud mo moment for him, you know, in his life. And that was a picture of them in the, uh, from the wedding in the paper or whatnot. She did an excellent job on writing that paper. She's been nervous. She's called me several times, and we're planning a mem memorial August the 14th from 10 to 2 at Leek's Funeral Home. And they're going to have, I think, the color guards or whatever, however they do the ceremony for a veteran, because Walt was a vet for a couple of years or whatnot. And um, he was just an outstanding man. I mean, he loved to do different things. You know, that was Walt. And he'd give you the shirt off his back. He would give you the shirt off his back. A lot of people knew Walt, and he, you know, with them being staying here locally, going to school uh, at the university, and then later on in years, he uh, decided he went, he moved to Florida, stayed there. Then he came back and lived with his daughter, our daughter in Chicago. Then he went back to Florida, and Shalina kept saying, "Dad, don't go back, don't go back. If you get sick, I'm in Chicago, you in Florida. I got two kids and I'm married. That's a big expense." But she was able to see her dad before he passed away, so. That was a blessing. I'm glad she was able to do that. So, but anything, that's it for right now. Any questions? We don't take questions, but okay. thank you for speaking. We appreciate it. Thank you. Anyone else wish to address this issue, please step forward. State your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. My name is Dean Davis Smith, and um, I'm from the city of Champaign, a resident. And I'm here to uh, speak on Walt's behalf as well. Um, I, too, uh, just realized that he was such a, a really good community activist. And one of the things I liked about him is it, it, we, when we were married, he wanted to most likely be in, in the community. And like Diane said, being a part of this, the kids as the uh, part of the, the park district. Uh, he worked for the Park District many, many years. Uh, was the director of the uh, Champaign Douglas Center, and I think that he he just knew that was his niche. And one of the things that I was most proud of is that he, as she said, was very giving, not only to his kids but to the community and to kids that he would coach, because he was the coach. Uh, I, I know that people still call him coach, and when he moved to Florida. Uh, my daughter also uh, lived with him while he was there in Florida, and uh, he had a um, track team there. So he just had track in his blood, and so all of them called him coach as well. But I do think that this is one of the momentous times that we can uh, give the tribute to him. Uh, it, and as Diane said, it's too too bad that it's it's you know after the fact, but I think that it's well deserved. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Seeing none, council comment? All right, so our poll is to direct staff to prepare a resolution to be placed on a regular meeting agenda for council action on the honorary street designation for Walter Smith on 5th Street between Tremont and Eureka. Councilmember Falmer. Yes. 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 And yes, you have direction. Thank you. Now on to the plaza. I apologize. <laughs> we'll give you a chance after a staff presents.
Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce myself. I'm uh, Lacey Rainslow. I'm a senior planner um, with the Planning and Development Department. I'm Chris Sokolowski. I'm Assistant City Engineer for Transportation in the Public Works Department. We're excited to be here in person to actually, you know, not do this virtually. This is really great. I was just happy that my clothes fit, quite honestly, after <laughs> not wearing dress clothes for so long. Um, so we're here to, tonight to talk about um, the phase one engineering analysis for the Neal Street Plaza. Um, that means we probably should tell you a little bit more about the Neal Street Plaza. Obviously, we can't just dive right into the phase one engineering analysis. So first and foremost, um, where is it at? Um, as you can see from the map, um, this is a city-owned parking lot at the corner of Neal and Washington Streets. Um, if you're familiar with some of the buildings there, it's adjacent to um, the one main building and the Orpheum building. Um, and as... Um, some have said, particularly Rick Steves, the public plaza is the living room of the community. This is a project um, that has been a longstanding goal for the community. It was first identified in the 2006 downtown plan um, and has been adopted in subsequent comprehensive plans and something that has, has been a need for our community for quite some time. Um, the public plaza or the, the community gathering space that is envisioned in this space is the place that you take your family when they come to visit. It's the place you take potential new employees or the parents after they do the campus tour. You know, it's the place that we sort of showcase the best of what is uh, Champagne and the best of what we can be. So when we began this effort um, to create a placemaking plan or um, an idea for the design of this space in 2017, we started with a set of values. Um, one of the things we didn't want to do was just to sort of start you know, placing benches or features on a map and not have them respond to the kinds of activities that people wanted to do in this space. So um, there's the idea that whatever happens in the, whatever features are in the space enable the activities that people want to happen there. So what are those values um, and what are those desired outcomes? Um, they, this should be a vibrant community destination for all seasons um, and throughout the day. It should be a space that is inclusive, welcoming, and safe. Um, a space that is an economic catalyst, that has a sense of place, and that is appealing to all ages and lifestyles, and it should result in a shared community identity um, for the residents, of excuse me, the residents of Champaign. So when we think about these values, I want to touch on a couple of them. How exactly, I guess, is a plaza an economic catalyst? Well, when we make an investment in public infrastructure, there's often um, a catalyst of, uh, that catalyzes, excuse me, um, private investment on the back end. This is something we do frequently. If you look at Campus Town Streetscape, if you look at Boneyard and Midtown, and even downtown, our downtown streetscape and the, par the parking deck that we've built, that leverages additional private investment to follow. So it's not simply um, just an infrastructure investment, it's also an economic catalyst. But also speaking to shared community identity, this is also investment in the people of Champaign. It's an investment in our community to create those kind of shared experiences and shared opportunities, particularly when our larger society is bifurcating. It's important that we can do that locally. Community input was a huge component of um, the placemaking plan effort to determine how this space should be used. Um, we held numerous events. Um, we held 15 um, pop-up events throughout the community where we would go to established um, activities so that people could um, 
you know, not have to come just specifically to a community input session about the plaza, but we could find those people who might not already be coming to downtown. Um, and we heard a lot from people. We had some really candid conversations. Um, they indicated that their goals for the space were that, again, it should be inclusive. It should be welcoming um, to both families and to minority communities who maybe don't feel as welcome currently. It should be a vibrant place, not just on weekends and evenings. Um, and it should be an oasis, a place to spend time and just be, is what we heard a lot of, not just a pay-to-play space. And it should also be fun and entertaining, of course. So thinking about all of that, um, what does the concept design include? We really had to pack a lot of punch with this space. It's only about, well, just under two acres for the entire space. So thinking about all of the input we received and all of the ideas that people had, how could we pack all of that into this small space? Um, there's some uh, labels on the map here you can see. Um, at the north end, there's a lawn space. It's, uh, there is um, additional parking on Washington Street and additional parking on the, the northern portion of Neal Street. Um, a pop jet fountain in the center, a stage for performances, um, and some other really interesting features that I'll walk you through. So the Great Lawn, um, I don't know how, you know, if maybe that's a little ambitious, I suppose, but, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta be positive about it. So the Great Lawn space is a space um, that can be very flexible. This is where you can host festivals, larger events, um, a place where we can have the, the uh, Tuesday night farmer's market, for example. Um, and this shows a, a, you know, a screen for a movie, but you could obviously have other kinds of events there, too, that we aren't normally able to have in our downtown, from yoga to outdoor movies in the evenings. The Hickory Promenade, or the area adjacent to the store frontages on what would have historically been the Hickory Street right-of-way, um, is a shared street condition. So this is a place where it's a curbless space um, during the weekdays or whenever there's need for parking. This can be a one-way um, drive aisle with angled parking adjacent to the businesses with wider sidewalks that accommodate outdoor dining. Um, one of the really interesting features about this space is something that is we're calling the Heritage Walk. So you can see those sort of panels. Um, we've just conceptualized the idea. It's not um, spe specific as to what it would necessarily look like, but a space where we can showcase our history and our heritage for our community. This was really important to the community as they came out and shared their ideas with us. You know, the idea that we have this really unique and interesting history, and by all means, I encourage everyone to check out the Champaign History Museum. It's a great place. Um, but what is that kind of place you can direct people that's public and open, where we can really tell our story and tell that unique and rich history. We've had some really interesting concept um, meetings about virtual reality tours and, and different things that are really cool, so I hope we can get this off the ground soon. Um, another main feature is the Hill Street entrance. So this sort of repoints the entryway to this greater plaza space at Hill Street would be flanked on either side with small business kiosks. So kind of like the um, box concept from Chicago, if you're familiar with that, these are small sort of pop-up um, retail spaces that can showcase uh, local small businesses and can have short-term leases to show off their products. Um, and as those change, of course, that, in, that encourages people to come back to the space and see what's new. Um, you can see in the background there, there's a fountain or a water feature that has um, 
it's called, considered a pop jet fountain. So the, the water jets are at grade, um, and they can be interactive, they can be lighted, they can be programmed to do different designs. Um, but in the wintertime, when you know, it's not appropriate to have a fountain running, you can turn those off, and that's the space where the holiday tree would be featured. Um, so you don't have that sort of dead winter fountain like we have in some other places. So I'll let Chris talk to you about the phasing of the project. Um, again, it's only uh, less than two acres, but there's a lot here, so it's important that we think about how it's phased. Um, so I believe back during the other past study session discussions, there was a, um, a direction to phase the project so that we could build a portion of it uh, in the near years rather than save up and have to try to build the whole thing at one time. So phase one is basically the area uh, on the south end of the plaza that includes the uh, frontage in front of one main, um, the area that's sometimes used during Friday Night Live, and then it extends a little bit into the parking lot area uh, to provide space for um, a performance stage and a stage that can be used for other events as well. Um, and then phase two um, is the space next to the Orpheum, which would be a type of um, gateway from the plaza itself to the parking that's to the east of the plaza along Fremont Street. And then phase three would finish it out with a lot of the more, probably more exciting amenities that Lacey referred to. So, um, so we went into the phase one engineering analysis. So Lacey talked a lot of exciting things that the vision identified. And of course, whenever you're starting the project, you have to look at some not so exciting things, and that's where in the engineering portion comes in. So we're basically looking at the existing infrastructure and layout of the plaza that as it exists, and how we might make that better uh, align with the uh, vision for the plaza in the future, and how the programming, both current and future, and future programming of the area. Uh, so this included looking at base infrastructure improvements, such as uh, electrical service for the stage and for future phases of the plaza so that we can size that for expansion to cover um, all future needs, improving pedestrian safety and routing um, through the plaza, but also when there's events in the plaza and you're uh, on your way from the deck to other businesses downtown, uh, providing a route to get through that without having to go through the event. And then also um, trying to identify the project limits to minimize any overlap of the phase one project with phase two so that we're not having to um, tear up any newer infrastructure to build those future phases. <clears throat> and then lastly, it, it also uh, looked at defining some specifics of the amenities themselves uh, to take into account both um, initial costs for uh, purchase and construction, but also long-term maintenance considerations. Uh, the phase one uh, design goal was to work with the current space as much as possible uh, while updating it to better align with uh, how the plaza is used. Uh, the plaza was built about 20 years ago or so and has um, evolved over the years in how, how it's, uh, how, how it's uh, utilized. Some key features that remain unchanged are the pedestrian route routing through the plaza, so the way you currently walk from the parking lot to the intersection at Main is pretty much unchanged. Uh, the location of the historic uh, fountain on the south end doesn't, doesn't change at all. And then the location of the outdoor dining areas doesn't change, although the size just a little bit, and Lacey will talk about that later. Some key basic infrastructure updates or improvements um, that are on the less exciting side, but nonetheless necessary, 
Um, we had a sidewalk along the east side of Neal Street. That provides that route around the plaza if you uh, didn't want to have to walk through the crowd at attending an event at the plaza. Um, <clears throat> and the intent would be for that sidewalk to eventually continue and connect to Washington Street to provide a continuous route along the east side of Neal. Uh, the relocation of the Neal Street pedestrian crossing that's currently at the breezeway at the deck is moved further north to Hill. Um, that aligns with the future phases of the plaza. It also improves the safety for the pedestrian crossing in conjunction with relocating that driveway access point to the south of it. So you reduce vehicle pedestrian conflicts and um, still provide that uh, connection from the parking deck to uh, the plaza and the rest of downtown. Um, the relocation of the access drive also provides a drop-off pickup location for uh, ride shares and also for unloading and loading of equipment related to any events that might go on in the plaza. <clears throat> and then um, lastly, we're addressing some aging streetscape within the existing plan. And the one example I'll use is that there are a lot of pavers in the existing plaza and over um, time pavers uh, settle and create tripping hazards and things for folks. So. Uh, in more recent projects, we try to avoid putting pavers in areas where people will be walking. So one of the things we would do is uh, remove those from the uh, walking areas to improve accessibility for the plaza. So it was definitely a fun exercise, you know, to look at the sort of phase one concept was much more general and then think about how we could enable that in this space in phase one, which is actually less than half an acre. So how could we pack as much exciting stuff into this space as possible um, and still make it realistic? As Chris said, we wanted to work with the existing sort of shapes um, and design as much as we could. So one of the um, most, I guess you could say, beloved features that people were really excited about um, in the input process were these bench swings, which seem somewhat simple, but they're actually really playful and, and very, um, very in demand. If you go to another similar space in other cities that they have these kinds of things, it's tough to get a swing. You kind of got to wait around until somebody gets up. Um, so a shade trellis um, with bench swings um, that would be on the, in, in the area that's highlighted in red where the current sort of grassy berm is, where there are some art features currently um, are planned for this space. One thing that I think is really interesting about um, phase one is how the designers were able to add so much more seating. So if you're familiar with the space now and you think about um, those planter areas or those planted areas that are at grade or they're sort of at um, ground level, one of the ways to make those much more um, usable and to add a lot more seating is instead of just letting those be at grade, which can actually be sort of tripping hazards, especially for folks that are um, low vision individuals, um, is to raise the edges of those planters and, and have the edge be a seat wall, um, which adds quite a bit more um, usability to the space. So there's a lot more seating, um, as we've highlighted in red here, just by, just by making those changes. In the area near the stage, um, there are two tiers of seating, so you can actually add some additional seating with two tiers, which would be um, important just for everyday use, but also for enjoying a performance. In the outdoor dining location, um, this is something that we know is, is very popular in our downtown, and we wanted to make sure that this design um, encouraged that to continue. So in the uh, Big Grove space, or the space is allocated for Big Grove, the um, redesign for phase one actually adds an additional 400 square feet of seating. And in the co-fusion space, um, there's an additional 700 square feet 
of outdoor dining space. Um, the other nice thing about the way this um, sort of shakes out is currently the, the outdoor dining spaces are sort of separated by these temporary, uh, you know, movable planters. Um, and, and those are great, but um, if you'll think in your mind's eye about the space adjacent to Esquire, for example, where there are built-in um, raised planters, it's a lot more comfortable for the diner and also for the person on the outside of that space using it. You don't feel like you're just sort of, you know, invited to someone's meal um, and you're you know, just peering in. Um, so this would be a lot more comfortable for all users um, and also gives them additional space. Um, now this was a feature that I know relocating it, uh, we had a lot of conversations about. We were afraid this would be very controversial, um, but ultimately I think this is a, a good solution. So where do you put the holiday tree? Currently in the space, um, it's in the big sort of circular planter space. Um, originally when one main plaza was built that would have been a fountain, um, but the design was changed um, for cost reasons and now it's just a planter, um, a circular planter, um, where we put the holiday tree. Um, so that takes up quite a bit of square footage in that space. So simply um, rethinking how that is used actually gains a lot of space. Um, so relocating where the holiday tree would be in this location, obviously in the, in the grand design or the full design that includes phase three, it's intended to be located at that entrance at Hill Street. So this would be a sort of semi-temporary location until phase three is constructed. Um, but the nice thing about um, being able to do this utility analysis, and I, I don't want to ruin anyone's um, let's, let's back up. So when we go to the Parade of Lights and when Santa, you know, lights the tree. Um, he has an elf who helps him, um, who's in the basement of one main. And they have to flip a breaker to help Santa out. It's maybe not the most efficient way to do things. Um, today we have more technology so that we can actually enable whatever um, power that powers this location where the holiday tree is. So that can be connected to Bluetooth or other sort of wireless kinds of um, tools that Santa can rely on um, so he doesn't have to have um, help from an elf, let's say. So speaking to that and to the next um, slide about the stage, as Chris mentioned, one of the things that was really important to us was to think about how the space could be durable, how the materials that were selected could be durable, but also how they could be plug and play. Um, you know, these things that we enjoy, these special events and other activities that we enjoy, actually take a lot of work on the back end from volunteers, from city staff, um, to make them seem seamless and to make them come together. So we wanted to make sure that in doing this, um, all of those utility needs were met, all of those sort of things that we've discovered by using the space for so many years um, could just be a lot more seamless and, and easy to use. Um, the stage is another great example of that. We know that we have numerous, obviously not in pandemic times, but um, we have numerous special events that rely on um, equipment for performance. And having a, a permanent stage, even though it's a smaller scale stage, um, could be a really um, helpful tool and could enable a lot more groups to be able to use that space. You know, you need to have access to a generator, access to uh, a lot of other um, pieces of equipment that you have to rent to put on something like that if we don't have that available, right? So if this is a plug and play kind of space, whatever, usually it's nonprofits, but what other groups might be interested in, in utilizing the space to have an event, it makes it a lot more easy for them to host that kind of an event. So the actual vertical portion of the stage is not yet designed. Um, 
that's something that we would hope to get more input on when we, when we cross that bridge. We just wanted to provide some examples that show if the idea is sort of a simple um, kind of a structure that um, when it's not in use as a stage, can, can feel like it's a, a part of um, the space and sort of a pavilion type of space as opposed to just being an empty stage, for example. So the last um, piece of information the engineering study uh, wanted to produce was a cost estimate suitable for budgeting purposes so that when we do our capital improvement project budget, um, we have a, a good number to work off of um, that we would always shoot for being within. Um, the overall estimate for this project is just under $2 million, and that is in 2025 dollars. Uh, the number does include resurfacing the entire Washington Neal parking lot, which is a, an additional $100,000 that's included in that number. Um, just if you're going to invest a lot of money and make the south end of this plaza look nice, um, the current lot is in need of resurfacing, so it makes sense to probably do that all at the same time. There's also savings in doing it at the same time. The project is proposed to be funded from the Downtown Fringe TIF Fund um, and is currently funded in the Capital Improvements Plan for 2029 construction. Uh, before the pandemic, construction was anticipated to occur somewhere between 23 and 25 um, based on revenue projections for the TIF, um, but the pandemic impacted several development projects within the TIF, which affected the revenue projections and resulted in the project being pushed out uh, a little bit further in and resulting in the current timeline. Um, the preliminary engineering effort we've done uh, will help the preparation of the bid package for the project move a lot quicker whenever the time comes that we're ready to construct it, probably cutting that time in half from about a year to about six months, um, which will allow us to uh, bid it in, a, in, a, in a, um, a good time frame for getting competitive bids, which would be uh, early calendar year over the winter of whatever year that it's funded in. Um, that's all I have. So, of course, we would be remiss not to talk about the impacts of COVID-19 um, on, on the project and on downtown overall. Um, so what is our snapshot today? Um, today, there are over 25 vacant storefronts in our downtown core. We know that, we've that our community, as many communities, are experiencing reduced Amtrak and intercity bus ridership, which is reducing the folks that are coming into our downtown. The Orphan Children's Science Museum has permanently closed and the building has sold. Um, obviously, there are impacts we aren't yet fully aware of with the uh, new renewed interest in hybrid workforce and what that might impact as far as office space or the amount of office workers we have in downtown. And as Chris mentioned, with the delayed construction on the hotel at Hill and Neal Streets and other anticipated development projects, that EAV increase, which funds the, the downtown French TIF, has slowed. Um, so that is a reality um, today. One of the things that we should address, of course, is um, the potential for sponsorship and outside funding. Um, this is commonly a component of community capital projects, and we do have a local organization that has committed a sizable donation to the project, um, you know, assuming we can get um, the majority of the funding uh, identified. Usually, these kinds of sponsorships are for specific elements of the project. So, um, I, I always use, I realize I always use like food analogies, um, but you know, you, we need to provide the funding for the cake and we're looking for the funding for the frosting um, to enhance the project. Usually that's how sponsorship um, efforts work. Um, particularly when we're looking at large donors like um, the project in Decatur, the Devon Amphitheater, um, which was uh, predominantly funded by Howard Buffett. Um, 
large donors need to be cultivated, um, and usually they receive some sort of a value in return. So uh, Devin is actually the Mrs. Buffett's name. So what is that transaction, right? In that case, the naming rights. Um, of course, the the sponsorship needs to be proportionate. As I mentioned, the majority of funding is, is generally public, but ultimately we need to look into the policy implications of that. So is that something council wants to pursue and what kind of um, you know, processes would uh, you support? So we're looking for direction um, tonight on uh, accepting the phase one engineering study. Um, and uh, supporting additional work on sponsorship and other opportunities to advance the construction timeline of the plaza or for alternative direction. All right, technical questions. Councilmember Beck? Um, I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about the um, funding mechanisms that for this. So can you give us information for the community at large what the TIF district that is going to be funding this project is capable of funding outside of this plaza? What's the, what's the zone for that, basically? Oh, I should have included a map. Um, it's, so the fringe TIF is essentially, if you think of downtown, if you're picturing downtown and you think of sort of a donut, right, where the donut hole is the older or more uh, core portions of downtown, the fringe is that area that sort of wraps around it. Um, I can't think of the cross streets in my head. I don't know if Bruce has those on the top of his head. Yeah, generally speaking, the, the downtown fringe tiff uh, is, uh, um, goes over to roughly uh, State Street uh, and uh, down to uh, Springfield Avenue, uh, runs along the railroad tracks, and then uh, goes up it's not a straight line across the north end, but you know, roughly um, uh, Hickory Street um, uh, and uh, North Street. Uh, it, and then as Lacey noted, uh, we had a downtown TIF. Uh, when, when that TIF ended, uh, we, we did take some of the areas that had yet to see reinvestment uh, in, uh, in that area and put them in the new TIF. Uh, with the intent that we would uh, promote reinvestment in those areas as well as the areas around the fringe of downtown that had yet to see as much in investment. So um, the, the reduced EAV of the old New News Gazette building as well as the delay in, in the proposed Aloft Hotel uh, changed the increment projections if, if uh, the, the hotel gets started or other projects get started that projected increment could change fairly quickly. Uh, but uh, the, the money, the TIF increment that's generated, that's the increased value resulting from investment uh, can only be spent back in that same TIF district. It is, it, by state law, it's required that it be used to continue to promote further reinvestment in the area. So just as a follow-up question, we couldn't use this to do projects in other parts of the community. We can only use it for the, the, the area that you just defined for us. That's correct. correct. All right, thank you. Councilmember Gladney. Maybe jumping ahead here, but um, so when it comes to programming for this area, like the stage and whatnot, so who will be in charge of that? Sure, that's a great question. So um, currently when we um, 
host, I guess we don't generally host necessarily those. We partner with 40 North, for example. We have a number of nonprofits um, like DSC. They do their fundraisers for Oktoberfest and um, for See You on the Prairie and others. So generally that's um, a space that's available for uh, various organizations to use. Thanks. Anybody else? If anyone in the audience wishes to speak to this issue, please step up to the microphone, state your name and city of residence. We ask for mutual respect of everyone present so that everyone in the room or watching from home can clearly hear what each speaker has to say. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. The countdown clock will display your remaining time. I'll let you know when you're at 30 seconds. Thank you. Alan Max Axelrod, City of Urbana. For those of you who read The Intercept, you know that Howard G. Buffett used his named foundation, Howard G. Buffett Foundation, to donate to the city of Decatur $500,000 to have roaming phlebotomists test people for whether or not they had THC in their blood system, even though there's no scientific proof that that is actually a good way to do so. They did so to also compel the city to vote against having a cannabis dispensary in their town. That is why The Intercept reported on it. I think that it is wholly antithetical to the values of this community. And so I would strongly urge that people do not accept the sponsorship from the Devon in particular. And I'd be more than happy to bring Decaturite activists who, as folks may know, are from a very different life experience and do not necessarily adhere to the decorum in this community to explain to you all the harm that has been happening in their community due to Howard G. Buffett and his family. Their philanthropy is good. They do help people. But how they then tilt that scale matters. And I would urge that our community limit the proximity of the Buffett's already in our community. And this isn't to say, like, oh, look, gross conspiracy. I mean, yeah, there's the Berkshire um, real estate listing. For example, the old location on Neal that's vacant right now is listed by them. Yeah, they own Dairy Queen and chains like that. That's fine. But a city space, I don't think that they really have an appropriate right or claim uh, to that space, where we are then affirming their conduct in other parts of central Illinois. One of the things that's also particularly important and that we had gotten reporting on was the suspicious proximity of the Buffett's investments to the issue of utility shutoffs. To briefly explain that, they own the, the rail lines through which coal was transported. They own one of the utility corporations outright. They own the corporation like EcoWater, for example, that is partners with the Aqua Illinois, which is a utility that operates in this community. And our governor happened to inherit through a 2007 onward transaction about 24% of his net worth from the Berkshire Hathaway Corporation. Now, for those who don't know Howard Buffett, he is somebody, or he is somebody who went down to the border to train a militia. He is somebody who was running for sheriff until he found out that he had to take two classes, I think one of which was on ethics, in order to be eligible to run. And so he has suspended his campaign. 
That is Howard G. Buffett. That is the family behind the Devon. So I would highly recommend that this body firmly say that you can seek sponsorship elsewhere. They are not unique. There are other sponsors. But I think that their influence that is documentable is important to acknowledge. Their statement of values is important to acknowledge and that we should proceed consciously on whether or not they are a permissible sponsor for this project. Thank you. Thank you. Does anyone else wish to address the council on this issue? Hi, I'm Creole Unbeloved. I live in Garden Hills in Champaign, and I want to apologize for stepping on the honoring of Walter Smith. I did not know, and I feel really bad. Um, as far as this goes, there were four questions that I really would like answers to. Gladney, you mentioned programming, who would be responsible, and you got a list of people who may use the facility, but who would be in charge of scheduling and following through on rental fees. I'm, I'm curious to know who will pick up that, that responsibility. Um, I know further up on University or further east, uh, where Habitat for Humanity has their store, they did have seating outside and decided to put planters on it to discourage people from sitting. So I wonder if any of the people downtown who run businesses are going to be afraid of loitering downtown. It doesn't bother me at all. I think everybody who lives in town should have a nice place to sit downtown. But I just wondered if that's been investigated at all. Clearly, some businesses do not want people loitering outside of them. Um, I had a question about a safety. We know that right now, um, during the weekends in the summer, that parking lot is closed on weekend evenings because people gather, they drink, they gamble, and it turns into violence or gun violence. I, don't, I have not heard how changes to making it into a, a living space and a friendly space is going to prevent that from happening. So I have a great deal of concern if you make it even more desirable and fun to sit in, are we going to see more gun violence downtown? And those were my only concerns. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Amy Rivia, Champaign. Um, first, I will address the issue with downtown, but I wanted to show you this picture. This is, I live on Anita Drive, which is just off of Mattis, right by the post office. Very short street, quiet little street. This is on my corner, right by the school. This is what you see, nothing. That's all the lights you see, and I have the apartments behind us. And then I just wanted to show you a couple. I'm a daycare provider, which many of you know, of 31 years, and I want to show you I have to you know, scan my backyard to make sure every day when my children go outside and play, this is not what I, they find. And this is found in my backyard. I'm sure you can notice that. Oh, maybe Ms. Rivia, I don't... Um Okay. Wish well, to interrupt you. I just wanted to make sure you understood. We're talking about the plaza, yep, yep, their general yep, council comments are at I, the end of the well, meeting. Well, this is what I'm going to get to. If you give me my, you know, respectfully to me, I said I would address that. My question to you is how can you think that it's okay? How many times have we redone downtown? And to the point now where you have police officers telling you not to go downtown? And you're going to continue, think about putting $1.7, $1.9 million in downtown, and it's going to be, I don't know, started or completed by 27, 29. And we live in a community inside the city of Champaign. 
And we're just asking for something as simple as a few lights, some sidewalks. Well, let's not even consider the drainage so that people can get in their driveways because it's flooded. That's what I'm asking you about. How you think, I know we all know about the whole thing about Robin Peter from PayPal, but where do you get the money to do these kind of things consistently? And who are you doing it for? When you have open carry of alcohol, I'm not sure that that's a place I would take my children or grandchildren if there's going to be open carry of alcohol during any event when there's not even events that are in our neighborhood that's sponsored by the city of Champaign, none at all, or any other neighborhood maybe for that fact, maybe a few in the south part of Champaign, but not certainly in the north part of Champaign. And so, yeah, I am addressing this about that's why I'm here, which I'm going to keep coming here regardless of what's there, because how can you justify spending a dime in a place downtown where my kids are not going to go, my grandchildren aren't going to go there, you know, and you're taking, I mean, where is the revenue from all the liquor stores going or the gambling joints going? I would really, I mean, I'm not, you know, big into all this, but where is it going? It's not going into Garden Hills. That's for sure. We absolutely know that without a shadow of a doubt. That is not going in Garden Hills. It is not going to the youth. This project is not helping anything. It's really, I mean, come on, let's face it. Downtown is for adults, Period. And you're, from what I can see, yeah, there might be an occasional event that might attract a child or, you know, parade of lights or what have you, but it's not for children. We have a lot of youth in this town. Where do you think all the violence is coming from? The youth. If you're going to keep investing in downtown, how are you investing in our youth in Champaign? Our neighborhoods, our communities. You had something up there that said community. It's not a community. Half of our children in Garden Hills can't even get downtown. We've already had the issue with busing and how complicated it is for anybody to go down there. You don't want to hear it because you don't believe it. Go walk in Garden Hills for a while. You don't campaign out there. You don't walk out there. You don't do anything in Garden Hills. And, I, you know, I don't, I, I, it really irritates me that you want to cut me short and think that I'm not going to address this. I'm going to keep coming here and keep coming here and keep coming here, and I'm going to keep screaming in your ear until you start listening. You're the mayor of this city. You're supposed to protect our youth. We have ministers, pastors, people, us, neighbors, who are going out there supporting a few kids playing basketball. Were any of you out? Well, I know you were, Will. You weren't out there. You weren't supporting it. You weren't sponsoring it. I was here for this. Thank you for interrupting me, but you can have your 42 seconds. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Chad Smith, Champagne, and uh, I'll try to keep it under four minutes and 30 seconds, but I ask that you not interrupt at 30 seconds to let me know that I have 30 seconds left. So man, many of you may not know me or care to get to know me. Um, Amy is my mother. You know, I went to the military. I served this country. I uh, went all around the United States and around the country. And I came back here to Champaign. What I saw when I came back to Champaign in the late 90s was a downtown revitalization that is awesome. Many a times I've compared it to places, uh, large cities like Virginia Beach, where I was stationed. Um, and some of the community and investment into those areas 
for the youth, not so much for the youth, but for the young adult or adults, and I like it. The only thing I say that Champagne's missing for me is more beach, less winter. Besides that, I'm all for investment in downtown. I do agree that, you know, and I understand how the TIF program works. TJ and I have had many conversations regarding how it works, even though I may not be able to recite it as well as he. The concern that I have and that I see is, I shouldn't say that I concern, but what I see a lot of is great sitting space, great benches, leveled seating. And I know that um, the pandemic was hard on this community and on that TIF. But it's also been hard on groups like See You at Home. A business partner of mine and I donated funds, money, and a property to See You at Home. It's not had a person in it yet. Now, that's not our fault. I don't think that's directly related to the city. But I think that with some of the money that we have right now, that that be invested into, like I believe was on the goal setting or discussed heavily in the goal setting, was actually have a year-round homeless facility. Because what I see is a lot of places for homeless to sleep. And I'm not against hopeless people. I'm not against the people in hardships. But before we went and invest $1.9 million on phase one, on phase one, that's not two and three, that we think about what that place is going to look like. We don't even have the law enforcement right now to police that area, to, and, and nor do we want to um, create more punitive damages on, on people that already have issues. So as much as I would love to see this, and it seems like it's kind of being kicked down the road a little bit, I would like to see some of the dollars and cents that we have in this community being invested in that homeless population, more into the looking at affordable housing. Uh, man, I could have, I could have hour-long conversations about affordable housing and what we could do a difference in zoning or a design to actually uh, promote more affordable housing. But that money in $1.9 million being put into this project could be invested into the homeless, into the community. And when we get that right, then we don't have to worry about that being a, a place for um, people to be kicked off a bench because they're sleeping there because they have no place else to go. So as for the my history or my opinion of the history of this council, two and a half, three years ago, I've been here and I was talking about policing and how many police we actually had based on the FBI suggested report. Then uh, I've talked about Garden Hills, the lights, and so on and so forth. I see it, I'm at 40 seconds now. Um, you know, I've, I've called um, and, and made address about the gun violence and the violence in the community. And if this is not the place to actually address those concerns and have them heard and then changes being enacted to do that, I can't believe that it's taken three years now for us to realize that we have to hire more police, that we actually have to do something in Garden Hills, and that we have to do something more to invest in the youth to actually make some change. Here we are three years later. 
I think you guys have a good start in understanding to what's going on in this community. Let's make the next five to seven years. Thank you. Anyone else? Hello, my name is Owen Hayes uh, from Champaign. And today I just wanted to talk about some of the issues I notice with the Neal Street Plaza placemaking plan, which is kind of a tongue twister. Um, but I had a conversation with Councilmember Beck earlier today, which was really good. Um, and I just wanted to say that I, I really love this idea of the plaza. I think it would be a great way to transform um, an underused space into something for the community. But um, I am concerned about a few aspects. So I noticed that the project is meant to uh, support the goal of our city builds safe and sustainable infrastructure. Um, but I think the surrounding infrastructure created by the plaza is kind of contrary to the goal in some, uh, in some aspects. So the plan stated that uh, there are an existing 140 spaces in the parking lot with about a 40% utilization, meaning that 56, or 56 spaces are being used. Um, and additionally, the plan also noted that there are over 1,500 parking spaces within a five-minute walk of the site. So despite this extreme overabundance in parking, um, the plan states that um, about 65 to 90 spaces would be accommodated in the plan, like additional on-street spaces. So um, the plan would lead to another overabundance in parking. So I believe that holding on to this uh, excess parking is going to continue to be an obstacle um, as the city moves forward with more sustainable modes of transportation, specifically cycling and walking. So. Uh, this extreme abundance of parking spaces is basically wasted space, I think, uh, that the city could use for businesses that generate revenue um, or for safer walking and cycling infrastructure, such as protected bike lanes. Um, and continuing to build our city for cars is clearly contrary to the goal of our city build safe and uh, sustainable infrastructure because not only is car-centric planning uh, linked to less dense, less walkable, less enjoyable environments, but it's also the most unsafe and the most, or sorry, the least sustainable planning model. Um, even if we consider like electric vehicles or things like that, um, that's still not conducive to the type of density um, and walkable, bikeable urban core that we see with um, walking and cycling. So investing in more protected bike lanes would help increase safety for all road users, encourage residents to get around by bike, um, help with mobility issues, um, and it's obviously a safer option um, than taking cars. Um, I noticed initially that bike parking wasn't a big focus of the plan. I originally thought there was no bike parking, but um, when I saw the slide earlier, um, it looked like they did have a small bike rack section. Um, but clearly it's something that's kind of being overlooked in this project overall, and I think it could use a lot more attention. Um, it's clear that it's not being emphasized as much as it should be. Uh, additionally, the plaza would be about a 30-minute walk from U of I's campus. I'm a student at U of I. Um, which is a little too far for most people, but it would only be about a 10-minute bike ride, um, which is a perfectly reasonable travel time for most people. Increasing bike access to the area uh, would enable Champaign residents living um, on the U of I campus or in Campus Town um, to safely and conveniently uh, participate in events held at the plaza. Uh, this increase in bike access would just make it easier for those people living in the campus area to just engage with the broader uh, Champaign community, which I think would be a great thing. Now, I know there are specific concerns um, about like ADA parking and fire accessibility, um, but I think those can still be addressed while also limiting the amount of normal parking spaces available um, on this site. Um, and I think we just need to take overall a second look at how we um, incorporate bikes and are friendly towards people riding bikes um, with this plan. So thank you for listening. Um, and I know there's a lot of 
other issues as people have brought up regarding this plan. But um, I just wanted to thank you for the time, for listening to my thoughts about cycling infrastructure. And I hope that you take that into consideration as we move forward um, with other planning projects in the future. So thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Hello, my name is Brian Dunn. I'm from Champaign. And, you know, as I sit here and I listen to people from Garden Hills speak, um, you know, I understand the TIF funding. I understand how, you know, money spent here isn't money taken away from Garden Hills. Projects started here isn't delaying or affecting projects in Garden Hills. But it does follow a pattern and a system that has existed since the creation of this city where we allow the, where we actively neglect the north end and we invest and allow the property value and the investments of already rich developers to grow and so it's not a problem with you know anyone who's planning this or anyone on city council it's a problem with the system and how our whole city is designed to operate and you know the the you know, you can, you can read about the segregation of our community and the segregation of the North End and how, you know, there, the infrastructure there wasn't uh, maintained and how, you know, it was so bad and so muddy that garbage trucks couldn't even get down streets and how that, you know, affected property values and generational wealth. Uh, but, you know, what, what are we doing about that? We have so many years of our community, of our city being actively racist in its systems and its policies, in what ways are we trying to be actively anti-racist? And when I see us spending $2 million, I just think it's important that we think about our history and we think about the context that we're living in and that we try to you know, address some of the things that we used to not talk about or sweep under the rug or just you know, actively do because we believe that certain people didn't deserve the things that other people deserved, mainly because of the color of their skin. And so, you know, it's nothing against this plan, but our funding models and, you know, the equity within them, I think are things that city council needs to be addressing with policy, especially when we're spending this kind of money while other parts of our cities don't have sidewalks, don't have street lights, and are flooded after 10 minutes of rain. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Hello, Kelly White. I live in Champaign. Um, as most of you know, I am the executive director of 40 North, which is the Champaign County Arts Council. And I want to thank Lacey and the team for um, all of their work. I've been on meetings about the plaza from the very beginning. And um, I work for a very small nonprofit. I'm the only staff member, and I work really hard to coordinate uh, Friday Night Live, which is the program that's been brought up a few times. And 2020 was a void for me, for our organization, and for downtown, because we weren't able to have it. And we're two weeks in to Friday Night Live, and I would respectfully disagree to an early speaker. It is for families. Uh, if you saw the line of kids waiting to get a glitter tattoo last Friday, or the balloon animals that were given out the Friday before, couples dancing, people enjoying themselves, listening to amazing local music, um, and I just want more of it. And this plaza with a stage built in that I can just come up to, plug in, potential chances for an art festival being able to have on that grass, I mean, the potential is endless. I'm excited to help program it. I'm excited to build that vibrancy in downtown, and I just, I hope it happens, and I hope it happens sooner than is planned. So, thank you.
Thank you. Is there anyone else? Hello, Council, Mayor. My name is uh, Leslie Krause. I'm a lifelong resident of Champaign. I've spoken here a few times about different issues, but uh, this one's actually uh, pretty exciting for me to see that Champaign is willing to invest again and helping to revitalize downtown. I mean, two of the biggest issues growing up here in the 80s, at least, you know, I always had a big focus on like how the city of Champaign was looking to progress in terms of alternate modes of transportation, like bicycle travel, John Street, the John Street bikeway. I lived on John Street, so that was always a big focus of mine. Uh, but also downtown revitalization was always a big thing because that was still back when we had the Neal Street Mall, the infamous mall. And it was really exciting to see how the city approached that to bring traffic back in, but then there really wasn't much at that time really focusing on pedestrian and bicycle travel. So seeing the way that the downtown has transformed so much to become a place where people can come as a destination, families, uh, you can have recreational space and so forth, and of course the new hotel and one main and all that. It's been really exciting to see how we've revitalized Champaign and this is the next step forward in that phase of revitalization. Um, one of my biggest concerns though is it seems that there's so much focus on like entertainment downtown. And so it's more like it's a destination but not necessarily a place to live. I live on the very south end of downtown, quote unquote technically according to the boundaries at Neal Street and Green. And it's just interesting to see that there's really not much for people that want to live in that area and travel or even just walk to downtown. I mean, I know that one of the long-term goals is to enhance and bring more green space and otherwise to North Neal Street up to the interstate. But what, like, what about South Neal Street? You know, I, I walked here from Green Street to downtown, this area of downtown, this core, uh, urban core of the city. And, and it's like, it's a concrete jungle. I mean, how many trees do you see on Neal Street leading up to the city building? I mean, it seems that we're wanting to enhance this one singular area, but then why, if it's a destination, shouldn't it be a destination for people that want to actually get there in a safe urban setting with tree-lined streets and everything, then to come there but via car? I mean, because, I mean, obviously we're talking about parking, so, I mean, what about the pedestrians? I mean, why can't I feel safe? walking down Neal Street, you know, when you have a sidewalk that's literally abutting the street. Some cases the sidewalk is even slanted in an angle because of the ways that they had to try and widen Neal Street when it was never designed to be that wide. So, I mean, I really like the idea of the project. It definitely seems like a worthwhile investment, but we need to look at the people also that are living in and around the downtown area. And another thing that I had actually brought up back in uh, like when I was in middle school, like around 1990, I remember I spoke with someone in the city planning department in this building. Um, and I mentioned like, why are there no grocery stores? Like, I mean, you, you talk about entertainment and all these other things, but what about the facilities that you need to actually live in and around this area? I mean, you know, right now we have all this supposedly vacant office space and everything. Those are things that are transitory and everything. Grocery stores have, is a mainstay, you know, something that makes people want to live here, want to actually really come here, not just to drink and go to concerts and things like that. So, I mean, I think we need to look at some of these different issues and how they all tie together, not just one singular concept of how to revitalize it with just this one area, although it is certainly worthwhile, and I definitely commend the city on looking at that, but to look at the bigger picture, 
I think is important as well as we transform downtown into a destination for all people to come, live, work, and play. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Seeing none, council comment. Anybody? Council member Niguez. Yeah, my only um, thought is what, how is it that we're going to, who's going to set the regulations for things like hanging out, loitering, things like that, and what's that going to look like in terms of policy? Obviously, it's some, something that we can't answer right now, and, you know, the safety and policing and even the loitering and or things like homelessness and things like that. I don't think it's anything that we can answer at this moment as the economy is going to be changing over the years, hopefully in the positive direction, but it's just something that I want to keep on the radar before we make any big decisions. Anyone else? Councilmember Falmer. So I want to start by saying um, thank you for, for your work on this. Um, I, I, too, am excited. Uh, my family and I walk to downtown. It, it's, a, it's a hike, but uh, a good hike that, that we enjoy. So I, I, too, am excited about the, this concept and, and the work here. I, I would like to kind of echo um, so, some comments from folks um, and just making sure that we are intentional about thinking about bike paths and, and things like that and, and how we can incorporate um, other modes of, of transportation. Um, and I also, uh, so I, I, I am concerned about like who's gonna kind of control the space and, and, um, and I know that that's something that we'll need to deal with down the road, but I do think it's it's worth thinking about at least having some some idea of what that's going to look like. Is that something that we're expecting neighborhood services, for example, to take on, or, or the park district, or what, what exactly that looks like? Um, and I, I I am. I, I am concerned or, or uh, understanding of the idea that we could look at other ways um, to consider the full picture, to, to look at um, can we think about other um, options for things like a grocery store or something like that. Um, but I, I understand the intention of this project. So um, so again, thank you for your work. and, and I, I'm, I'm very excited about this, and I hope that folks are also able to see that it is a space that um, I think families will hopefully enjoy, and, and it is a place to just be, and I think that's a really important part of this project is that it is a space to be and, um, and just, just hang out. So, so thank you. Councilmember Gladney. Thanks. Thank you for your presentation tonight and the work that you've done on this. Um, so I'm going to kind of be all over the place with my comments, but um, you know, we we have a, a history with this project. We've had a lot of public input over the years, both um, here at council meetings and also um, at several different. I mean, it's mentioned in our packet, but you know, several different types of events that have been in that that current space. Uh, so we've had we've taken on board a lot of stuff, and also you know, I mean, I speak for myself. I've had several one-on-one -on -one meetings uh, with folks about this as well over the years. Um, one thing I want to address is the um, things like um, 
pedestrian friendliness, which I think is important. Um, biking, important, obviously. Uh, but also auto transportation. Um, this project has seesawed with uh, including parking and then not including parking. And now what we're seeing here is sort of, a comp I feel like, a compromise uh, position. Um, it reduces, obviously, quite a bit of the parking that's there now. This is, this is nothing but parking. Um, and is leaving a few spaces. You know, one word, like a buzzword that gets thrown around, thrown around a lot today in public discourse is privilege. People like to talk about privilege. They like to, like to, to check people with their privilege. Um, and that's fine. But um, it is a privilege to be able to walk and to be able to bicycle and to be able-bodied. And I, you know, as someone who in a certain period of my life was barely able to walk after going through some medical issues, um, I do not take that for granted, as do uh, you know, a lot of other people. And that's one thing that opened my eyes when I had uh, discussions with folks about this plaza, is you know, it's great to want to make this super pedestrian friendly, but not to the exclusion of, and not to the privilege of folks who, who, who aren't able to, to just walk um, a mile or two to come to downtown, or who aren't even able to walk uh, a block. Um, there needs to be some consideration, in my opinion, taken for that, which is why we have the parking there as it is. Um, I don't think, you know, I, I think this, this, both this council over the last few years, and particularly staff as well, has been hyper-focused on reducing um, like parking spaces in certain places so we can be a more pedestrian-friendly community. Um, so I just want to put that out there. Um, I, I'm looking forward to this completion um, of this project, particularly phase one, because it features a stage. Um, I think I understand concerns about um, maybe public safety um, and, and whatnot. I, I do, however, think that there is a difference between um, a big empty parking lot and then um, a space designed for community gathering with things going on. I, I think that there, um, I, I could be completely wrong, but I think we'll probably um, see a difference there when this is complete. Um, I like the fact that this is a place that, you know, I forget, you, you had it on the screen earlier, something about, you know, downtowns or plaza spaces being like a community living room. Um, you know, to me, that's what a downtown is sort of the, the, the physical heart of a community. And I, I like the fact that this is a dedicated space where you don't have to, and I hope that this stays the case, you don't have to spend money to come here and enjoy things. You can come and watch a show for free. You can, you can um, walk in the, by and see art for free. Um, you can just sit if you want to um, and just enjoy the community. And I think it will be a space for um, everyone in the community, which includes families, it includes single people, it includes people who are just couples. Uh, it'll be a place for all to go. Um, and so I like the fact that there will be no pressure or there will, should hopefully never be any pressure in this space once it's completed, to spend money, that you can exist without having to spend money. That said, our downtown is a very commercial district. Um, you know, businesses exist so, you know, they can, you know, provide certain services and make income. 
so I think this will be very helpful in that regard. Um, you know, there are times when, particularly during the summer months, particularly now, as we're kind of getting, trying to get out of this pandemic, that I'll see something online that'll be going on, an event that will be going on in a sort of plaza-like space in a nearby community. And I'll say, okay, um, I'll take a day trip there on a Saturday and I'll go and try and get out of town and enjoy myself. Um, and while I'm there, I'll go to a restaurant and I'll spend money there or I'll stop by at a shop that's in that area. Um, I hope that happens here as well. It, again, it should not necessarily be you know, the reason we're doing this or the expectation for us doing this, but I think it will be a positive side effect for us doing this. Uh, and then finally, uh, I want to just kind of say we, we need to figure out um, the whole programming angle of this and sponsorship angle. Because um, that can get a little tricky, you know, there's a, it's funny, it's, we've had a lot of input just even tonight about, you know, the what ifs, or the, you know, this could happen, or that could happen, and I get that, there's, there's that with everything. So I don't necessarily want to jump too far down that rabbit hole, but I, I just want to make sure that, you know, um, we need to work on how this is going to be programmed. Now, this sounds like it's not even going to happen for another eight or seven or eight years, so we've got time to figure that out. But I, I just, that, that to me, that should be something that uh, um, should be given some thought. And that's all I have. Thank you. Councilmember Bruno. <clears throat> the, uh, I'm really encouraged by this uh, proposal, and I thank you for the hard work that's gone into it so far. And I just had a few observations about the concerns of the public and the discussions that have taken place. Uh, for the past few months, we've been struggling with uh, violence in our community, and it's troubling, and it's horrible, and we're trying to come up with solutions to make this not happen anymore. And one of the uh, lingering thoughts is people need to have a, more of a sense of a community. Um, we need to have programs for youth so that they don't um, so that they don't grow up to have a violent life and hurt other people. But also, we need to feel a little bit like a community that's back to being a family. And the concept of a community living room is part of what helps that feeling. I think we've gotten away from it in the United States in the last 50 years, or maybe 75 years. The advent of the automobile, you wanted to get in your car in the comfort of your attached garage, open the garage door, get to the marketplace mall, go in there, make a purchase, get in your car, go back home. Whew, I didn't have to run into anybody I didn't know. I didn't have to make any conversation. Now it's Amazon, I suppose. I, I, don't, I don't want to see anybody else in the community. I don't want to get to know them. And that helps erode the fibers of our community. Whereas 100 years ago, 200 years ago, there might have been a central fountain or a central gathering spot, a town square. And you could gather there and you could uh, socialize and meet with other people. Now, if you want to make that sound horrible, I suppose you could call that loitering. But you know, why do we have park benches? Why do parks have benches? Uh, what purpose do they serve? 
um, because they just encourage loitering in the park. And without the bench, people could get in the park on one end and get out the other end and not spend much time in the park. But over the years, people all around the world, not just our culture, but all around the world, have put benches in parks so you can sit and enjoy nature, talk to your friends. And in many parts of the world, um, in urbanized downtown areas, there are spots for people to sit. And they do sit, and they sit for hours. And, the, and in some of those communities, it's largely old men, old women. Maybe they're past their working years. Maybe they have a crumb of bread, and they're feeding the pigeons, and they're talking with somebody else next to them. And it's like grandpa and grandma are sitting around the plaza in the central plaza. And this takes place in every other country in the world. And the United States probably it has the least of it. Um, because we plowed away all those central plazas and those watering holes and the, uh, the monuments in, in intersections because the automobile was going to be king and we wanted to build a brick barbecue in the backyard and, and not see the neighbors anymore, get off the front stoop, go out in my backyard, privacy fence around it. And I think it's going to be healthy for our community to get back to where we were more than 50 years ago, maybe 100 years ago, where there's a central place where uh, people of different cultures might sit on a bench together and maybe strike up a conversation. Or people of different genders or different uh, generations could sit together and share a common space. Maybe the people on the other bench aren't like you at all. And maybe you don't want to talk to them. But maybe you do. And those shared things are a good investment for our community. That is money well spent. We're not flushing that money down the drain. We're spending it on a good community purpose because it's going to reduce vandalism. It's going to reduce crime. It's going to make people want to love their neighbor more. Loving your neighbor means you probably do less bad things to your neighbor. And we all have more respect for each other. That's why civilizations have done this for thousands of years. Uh, it's a place to come together. And to, to miss all that value and think, why are we doing this? Why don't we just put up concrete walls, a lot of mercury vapor security lights, maybe some cameras, and we could just get the cars through the downtown and people wouldn't loiter. But I think I want people loitering in our downtown. Loitering is not a pejorative term. Loitering is slowing down to think about life, to talk, to rest, to look at the sky, look at the birds, look at the pigeons. Loitering can be a very good thing. And it's not move along, move along. Um, you know, America enacted a lot of anti-loitering laws, but they were only enforced for the people you didn't like. They were only move along to the people you didn't want. Uh, and the people who were beloved never got hassled with loitering laws. Most of those loitering laws are probably a violation of the First Amendment right to peacefully assemble. Um, and, and so they don't get challenged very often because um, nobody has the incentive to take a loitering case to the US Supreme Court. But we have a right to peacefully assemble. And whether that's on a bench bought by the city or in front of a fountain or on a wall, that's not a bad thing. That's a community. 
And I, frankly, if I was driving across the country and I came into a town and I was lost and there was a downtown with a fountain or a plaza or a monument and I saw a bunch of townspeople sitting around on benches, I wouldn't think this is the laziest community I ever stumbled on. I might think this is the most lovely community. Why don't we, why don't we spend some time here? Why don't we uh, enjoy some of this peacefulness? So all benches don't need to be out in the forest. Some benches can be in urban areas. And, um, and now, uh, you know, and we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can build this plaza and still maintain sewers and roads and curbs and gutters, adequately fund the police, adequately fund the fire department, plow the snow, and build ourselves a plaza. Because that's the quality of life that I think people are looking for in our community. So I think this is spot on and we need to go full speed ahead. Council Member Beck. Um, so I think that during this last year and a half, one of the things that we have missed as a community is having something we can wish and hope for together and be really positive and excited about. And for me, this plaza project, even though it's a few years down the line yet and it's not as soon as we wanted to do, we had to push it down a little bit. To me, that's one of those moments where we can all come together and be excited that we're doing something awesome for our community. And I just want to sit with that for a second because we've had to deal with a lot of hard stuff as a community. And we will continue to deal with a lot of hard stuff as a community. There's no doubt about that. We have a lot of work on a lot of fronts to do. But isn't it nice that we have something that we can think is a little gem, a little treasure that we can all work on together to make good things happen for all of us? I think that's really fun. And that's cool. And that's something we can come together around. And I like that there are things that we can come together around as a larger community. And I think that something like this provides us with that opportunity to do that. Um, I like the use of living room as a way, as a metaphor for our downtown. I used to work in downtown development way back. And that's what we always talked about was our, our downtown was the living room of our community. And what could we do to make it uh, inclusive for everyone? So I continue to use that metaphor when I moved here. And to hear it used in this context was really fun because I want this to be a place where everybody can come and feel relaxed and welcome. Um, this past year, earlier in the year, uh, my husband and I went back to Cincinnati where he grew up. He grew up in the Cincinnati area. And we were visiting one of the neighborhoods that we used to be in a lot when we lived there. And there's a park, Washington Park, in the over, Rhine, over the Rhine neighborhood. And if anybody's familiar with um, Cincinnati, you know that Cincinnati's history is a fairly segregated history, um, racially segregated. And Washington Park, when I was there, was a place that I walked through regularly from my office to City Hall, which was a several block walk. But it was a, block, a walk that I made back and forth where there was nobody else in that park. Or if there were, there were only a couple people in that park. It was not a well-used park. It was not an unattractive park. It was green space and a pavilion in the middle. But it wasn't space that people were using. It wasn't space that people felt like they had a connection with. The city renovated that space over the last few years 
And it has a lot of the elements that we saw in this plaza plan. There's a great lawn. There's a fountain space. There's a food and drink space with a little plaza eating area. There's a play park. There's a place for performances with a stage at the end of the green space. It's packed in there, but it feels good and, and feels comfortable, and you can navigate around it, and it still feels like a park. Um, but the space is very usable. And when I was there, it was packed with people. I mean, the people were there using the fountain with their families, little children, middle-sized children, adults with their children. We had an opportunity to see this really cool um, art installation that was around the, the um, little pavilion that was there. And then there was also an interactive thing where you could actually participate then in this art installation, making your own pieces. Um, and there were people. There was a dog park there, which I know that the mayor would be super excited about. And so people were people were there with their dogs, in and out, in and out, in and out with their dogs. Um, and so there was just and there was just a lot going on, and the diversity of people that were in that space was more than I'd ever seen when I lived there and went back and forth in that park. There were people there that normally would not have been in that space and would have not enjoyed that space together people coming together and being together in the same space, which is really, really valuable. So I just use that as an example. I actually have a video of it on my phone still because I was so excited about it. Um, and just seeing all the people there was really exciting. So I hope that we can all come together to think about this as something that we can gather around as a community that we can work together to create something really special for all of us. And I know there are, you know, there are hesitations and there are concerns about what direction the development could take or who it might include or what it might include. I think there's been a great engagement process so far in the community. I've, I saw Lacey at like a thousand different events that summer. I mean, it, you were everywhere around the community. And you were busy making a human being at the same time. So there was a, <laughs> there was a lot going on for you. Um, but, but you were always there engaging with people. And I think that um, one of the really awesome things that we can continue to do in this project is continue that public engagement when we're thinking about programming, when we're thinking about what do we want the regulation of this and who's going to be uh, you know, part of that uh, process and who's gonna be part of the programming. That's a really cool element there. We can continue to come around together. We can continue to build those relationships and to say, I think this would be a really cool thing to have in there and let's work for that to happen. And I hope that we can all be positive about this because we need positivity. We need a positive thing to be together about and to say, we're a pretty awesome community, and we got a lot of really cool people here, and let's get them all together in the same space and celebrate. So that's what I have, and thank you very much for your presentation tonight. Councilmember Kyles. I don't know why every time you said park bench, Councilmember Bruno, I kept on thinking about Forrest Gump, <laughs> and the lady just, maybe it's not enough coffee or too much, one or the other. I don't think it's working, actually, right now. But, um, you know, I mean, I'm going to be supportive of this project this, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, maybe a few. Uh, one, 
um, economic driver. It is important, um, you know, as we talk about traffic and, and one of the reasons why businesses close is lack of traffic. Uh, and so perhaps this could be a engine for traffic, traffic people and also future investment um, because as we are able to diversify our investment, then we get a more family-friendly downtown. Perhaps this is the, the engine for that. So number one, that, that's, that's definitely. Um, two, I think that um, diversity, when we talk about it, um, is, is, is very possible. Uh, I went to a, uh, recently, well, I guess it wasn't recently, a few months ago, went to a uh, place in Oakbrook, which is, uh, Oakbrook, if you know, is traditionally white people, like rich white people, right? And so um, I go to this hotel that is home of, a, um, it's got this great golf course. Um, I may never golf on it, but an amazing golf course. And um, I hadn't been there in a while. Um, and what I saw was, was uh, when you talk about diversity, you know, um, typically when we talk about downtown, we always talk about the shootings, the violence, the interaction, uh, negative interactions. Um, and a lot of times, unfortunately, it's centered around, you know, people look like me, black people, right? So I always hate talking about downtown for that reason. So I try to figure out a positive way to to spin it. But to this hotel, now home of this golf course. Now when I went years ago, all I saw was pretty much, I mean, perceived wealthy white people perception, right? Um, this time I came around and I saw so many people that looked like me and the white people weren't afraid. <laughs> what, what? Go figure, right? Brothers just want to have a nice place to stay too, you know? You know, we, you know, we don't want to always have to, you know, I mean, this, ain't, this isn't the, the 19, whatever, 1800s where we got to pick our own, you know, we, we want nice places to be as well. Um, and the reason why I say that is I know in the beginning, you know, um, I know just the, the black experience um, in the beginning. People were, oh, shoot. Oh. You know, they probably, you know, called and, and said, hey, I can't believe that. And, but over time, I'm pretty sure that that place, I mean, it's still home of one of the best golf courses in the country, and people still go there. Um, um, people are able to enjoy their experience and it's an amazing, and perhaps this downtown um, project can be that. That's what I'm, I'm hoping for because, and all in all, you know, even though when we have diversity conversations, they always come, a lot of times they, they come more aspirational, like is it really possible that a person can be themselves, you know, um, and still be able to, you know, enjoy um, the environment and, you know, you don't have those traditional conversations where people just leave because, you know, wow, you know, you know, uh, 
the conversations that we've had, maybe this downtown project can change and shift. So I'm looking forward to that. But I know that it's possible. I've seen it. And I know that if we're intentional, um, it could be a place that, again, um, I get back to the, 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 you know, what most cities are known by, their downtown. And it's necessary to drive traffic specifically because there are other places around town that you can eat and you will stay, and that's just the way it is. And so um, to help support businesses downtown and build that, that's important. Um, I love CDAP. I love the fact that we have a CDAP program um, that already is in place um, because years ago, you know, talking about African contractors, American contractors, um, minority contractors, diversity may have been just something of a sort of a wish years and years ago. But now, because of the, this council, the staff working diligently, this community asking, um, we can expect to see um, diversity on the contract. And that builds value. A lot of people, it, it really does. It, re it builds value in a downtown when someone says, I contributed to this area, this, this project. Um, I think that's critical. I think that's important. I look forward to uh, supporting this for the reasons discussed and some of the reasons spoken by my uh, colleagues. Uh, I said that Forrest Gump. That's what I kept thinking about. <laughs> Maybe the coffee's not working. But uh, thank you for this presentation. Anyone else? Um, well, thank you to staff, but also thank you to the many community volunteers that um, we had a community group that actually met regularly to work on this. And, and I know that Lacey was out everywhere. Um, along with other staff uh, working on on this getting community input you know the history of this project is such it's been a long and winding road from being included in the downtown plan to council I think rejecting it maybe the first time out concerned about cost it coming back and kind of getting to where we are now in a thinking about it in a phased manner, thinking about creative ways to find funding, whether that is through the TIF, potential sponsorships, assuming we have a um, council policy on how we do sponsorships, um, and you know, looking at donations. It's, it's pretty amazing that we've gotten to where we are. I remember during I think the interim period where council rejected the plaza and then it came back for reconsideration, I happened to be in New York and I um, got to be in Bryant Park in New York. And I remember sitting in that park and I actually just pulled up their, they have their own website um, that talks about the programming and it's run by a corporation that does the programming, which I suppose could be an option for us in nine years when we figure that out. Um, but there was something for everyone. There were food kiosks. There were kids playing in a kid's area. There was, you know, a drink vendor. Um, there, there was just a lot going on. And as I looked at the website, they had bands that were being programmed. 
Um, I think the comments of council member uh, Bruno are really on point about you know, what this could be for our community and the potential for people seeing our community for the first time and then deciding to have a meal or stay is, it's, um, it's pretty amazing and I think would be great for everyone. Um, I love the idea of the kiosks. I, you know, the, the idea that um, someone with a small business idea could have a cheap and efficient way to try out a business idea and not, not have a lot of costs, but sort of have a storefront right in our community living room is, you know, and that's something I remember being at one of the meetings, I think, at Craner, and there were entrepreneurs talking about how they wanted that. So I think that's great. Um, you know, I, I do think it is, um, I have to give Kelly a shout out because she's here. I mean, you know, my kids love the sidewalk chalk night. And I, I do think that programming can be family friendly just because we have restaurants and bars and people downtown doesn't mean that kids can't be here to enjoy it as well. And I think this plaza provides that opportunity. Um, a couple of things I think that um, I, I'm just never going to stop talking about, so I'm, I'm just going to talk about them again. Um, I love that you have incorporated swings, um, but I want to put a plug in again for the musical swing concept. I actually talked to the company that does that in 2019 pre-pandemic because you can have them come for short periods of time. Um, and, and the way it works is the swing actually kind of lights up um, with different colors, but also each swing is a different musical note. So when council member Bruno talks about would you talk to the person next to you, it's really would you work with them to create music? Because you know you might not know them, but if you guys swing together, you can play a song. And it, you know, all of their research and studies say that it it you know makes the the economic development for that area, just people just flock to it because it's such a cool concept. So I'm still in favor of trying to do that. Um, and I'm also still in favor of the idea of the community table, having a large table in the space that actually has plug-ins. So if you want to sit with your laptop and just work, you can. But people can use that space for community dinners or, I mean, we did a community table through neighborhood services, um, but we would be able to do that in our own plaza space. So as we continue, I will just keep pushing on some of those things, but I'm, I am, um, like Council Member Beck, incredibly excited to be thinking about what the future holds for the plaza, and I am very appreciative of the work that has gotten us to the place that we're at currently. Um, so with that, we have alternative one, which is providing direction to accept the phase one engineering study and to support additional staff work on looking at sponsorships, other funding opportunities um, to advance the construction timeline of the Neal Street Plaza. Councilmember Fulmer. Yes. 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 And yes, thank you, you have direction.
Before we uh, start with audience participation, I did want to just take a moment. Um, Councilmember Pianfetti is out this evening. She had some family um, items she had to attend to, and so everybody's fine. <laughs> she just she needed to be home this evening. Um, and uh, I want to uh, remind everybody that it's time for the audience to address the city council. If you wish to address the council, please step forward, state your name and city of residence. This is your opportunity to make a statement to council as a whole. We're going to ask for mutual respect of everyone present so that every person in the room or watching from home can clearly hear what each speaker has to say. Audience noise and disruption make it very hard to hear and concentrate on the speaker. In particular, it may be useful for you to know that I have a hearing loss, so the more noise that's going on, it's harder for me personally even to hear the speakers. So I would appreciate um, everybody respecting everyone else who is speaking. Please be considerate and respectful. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. If you have additional comments, you can always email council members, submit written comments, send a letter, or reach out to us one-on-one. -on -one. The countdown clock will display your remaining time, and I'll let you know when you have 30, minutes, 30 seconds left to speak. At the five-minute mark, I will request that you allow our next member of the audience the courtesy of having their turn to speak. Please step forward. Alan Max Axelrod, City of Urbana. So to recap the progress since last week regarding SWIFT, there was a statement made by Mayor Dan Marlin that basically uh, said that they believed that the, unless if the capacity of the SWIFT program is completely filled out, then they don't necessarily see the funds being appropriated as something constructive with Parkland. Now, while one person has consistently walked out both times that I've spoken, and this seems like quite a barrier, we added a column to our petition. The column says, I want to enroll in SWIFT, yes or no. So as we go and canvas on this particular matter, we are going to be encouraging people to enroll in SWIFT that will hit the meager capacity of the existing program where the overburdened staff of Parkland have struggled with outreach. We will be sending people to the liquor stores, to the gas stations, to the, folk, to the area where at-risk youth aggregate, and we'll be talking to them about SWIFT. A particular canvassing effort that we had last week that I think would be of interest to this body we were at the terminal. We were speaking to black youth, and they, upon us telling them what the SWIFT program was, said, we're never going to see any of that money. But wait, I remembered one thing, and I told them that thing, which was, you didn't need a high school degree. You didn't need a GED in order to participate in the SWIFT program. They then signed. These are youth that folks would otherwise probably give up on based on their first response. The follow-through is very important. This is what we're willing to do. That is what we are going to do. So just to recap, we're asking the cities of Urbana and Champaign 
to engage in an intergovernmental agreement where in addition to wraparound community support, we are asking for increased funds to expand enrollment of the SWIFT program and to increase stipends for all people enrolled. That includes the people who would nominally be enrolled and that includes the people that we will be talking to. And just to recap, uh, on our petition, we added specifically, I want to enroll in SWIFT with a yes or no indicator so that as we canvass, we will be able to increase the community interest in enrolling in SWIFT and have the follow-up communication to do so. So that all said, again, we understand that there are constraints with the kinds of intergovernmental agreements that can be done. We also think that it would be a great idea to include explicit communications with the school boards of Urbana and Champaign to talk to them about the people that they would identify as at-risk youth for streamlining them into that program. We've also been talked to about some program called YAC whose, whose spelling out of the acronym was something like Youth Accountability Center. We'll be looking into that. But this is what we will be working towards. If there are any questions, I would suggest that you ask them rather than presupposing that the barriers that you face are insurmountable. We have dealt with a lot of such barriers before. As I remind you, two of the organizations that are behind this push are also member organizations of no Amherst shutoffs. They have navigated statewide barriers before. This is a small local community barrier. We're willing to adapt to navigate around that and to honor what constraints exist. So again, we are asking for the cities of Urbana and Champaign to engage in an intergovernmental agreement with the use of the American Rescue Plan funding to collaborate with what constraints exist to, in addition to wraparound services and violence disruption programs, to help increase the enrollment at Parkland allowed and to increase the stipends for all enrolled. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else that would like to address the council? Please step forward, state your name and your city of residence. Amy Rivia, Champaign. Um, so going back to what I was saying, you have to understand it's kind of sad for us to see you guys all so excited about this. Not that I don't see the benefits to Champaign, but you have to understand that we're drowning in Garden Hills and you don't see the 1,100 plus people that live in Garden Hills or there's 1,100 addresses here tonight for various reasons, whether they don't care because it's in a rental property that they just don't care or they're elderly and can't make it here or they don't have the means to come here and speak out for themselves. But we're there. We're helping them. You know that, Will. You're the one who dug somebody out of their driveway when we were out of a neighborhood cleanup. It's hard for us to get excited. And then when I hear somebody say about a grocery store, holy cow, come on. <laughs> we don't have a grocery store. We're, in, we're the community, right? You know, we can't all go downtown. Garden Hills would coming downtown would there would be no room for anybody else and you want us to feel the community wrapping around the you know happy happy it's hard for us to be happy about other things when how many 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 years before me have people wanted sidewalks and lights disregarding the drainage and now the drainage has gotten so bad that it's affecting all of garden hills not just the south side 
And then all the other stuff that's involved, the, the, the crime, the kids. I do daycare. I take care of kids. I've had 12 kids in my daycare all year, all nine kids virtually learning. Now this summer, there's nowhere for them to go. I've got all single parents. They can't afford to have somebody come and take their kids to camp or take their kids to here or go downtown. They can't do it. They don't have the means. You don't understand the people in Garden Hills. They're not. Most likely, do a poll. I bet a lot of them aren't downtown. I'm promising you that because a lot of them don't have the means to even go to the grocery store. You've heard people come here a couple weeks ago talking about what it was like to take a cart on the bus and just only being able to get a few things. We have a lot of handicapped. We have a lot of elderly. I don't know if anybody knows Mr. Ferris, Dale Ferris. He lives across the street from me. He is 97. He built three houses in Garden Hills. He's not going to go downtown, although I will say he's still driving. He probably shouldn't, but he is still driving. But, I mean, seriously, there's a lot. Mr. Kenoki. He can't go downtown. He's here. He was, on, he was one of the beginners here of the Neighborhood Association. You're not thinking about the big picture. I know you're excited. You're thinking about revenue. You're, but who's benefiting from that revenue? Not us. We're drowning in crime. We can't go to the store. We can't let our children play outside. Heck, we couldn't even walk down to the corner and watch other people doing fireworks. It was so stinking dark, and you're taking your life in your hands. Some of the streets are so narrow, the cars just zip. We don't have police coverage. We don't have trailers that can monitor the speeding. The speeding is ridiculous. There's about, probably, I don't know, maybe 10 cougars. We all know about the cougars now, right? They're all over town, but there's a bunch of them in Garden Hills. It's not safe. It is not safe. We can't get excited about something like this because you're not getting excited about us, right? You're not. I have not heard. I mean, I don't even see a smile. You're all up there smiling about it, but we're not. All we want is some very simple things. Even setting aside the drainage. I know that is a big undertaking, but lights and sidewalks aren't. And we had a meeting with Dennis Schmidt, and he said it could happen. Despite the drainage, Dennis Schmidt said it could happen. Lights and sidewalks could happen. But you are going to keep it in that package and tell us, okay, you know. But we don't get... Grocery stores, we've got a lot of liquor stores, but we don't, get li we don't get grocery stores, and you want us to get excited about this. Please, think about it. We've got kids, lots of kids out there, but you don't see a lot of kids in our park. I, don't, I mean, I'm not sure where they're all at, probably just in their backyard, but they're not in our park. So get excited about Garden Hills. Just once get excited about us and do something for us. Wherever you come up with all the money that you've got to do, keep, I mean, all the different things in downtown, Come up with that same amount of money for Garden Hills, please. Thank you. City Manager, when is the Garden Hills study session? August 31st. August 31st. August 31st. Thank you. Please state your name and city of residence. Hi, my name is Riley Schneider. Champagne. Hello, my name is Riley, and I have been listening to City Council, and I decided to write this. Just so you know, I had to write this with no help. Be so basically, I've heard a lot about sidewalk, sidewalks, streetlights, and gun violence. So I decided to write about all three things. First thing is sidewalks. So every day, I walk from my house to 
my bus stop, and sometimes I have to walk on the road or in somebody's yard. And I, and I would love sidewalks so I could actually walk somewhere. Second of all, we need street lights. After dark, nobody goes out because we have no street lights. Even I don't. Bec why? Because all the gun violence. So either we stop gun violence or we get street lights. Because the thing about street lights is just. The thing about street lights is just imagine somebody walking down the. If in the dark and they don't know if somebody's following them, and if it, and if it, a driver was driving in the dark without headlights, yeah, they could probably bump into somebody. That's two reasons we need streetlights. Third of all, gun violence. You do not walk in the dark if somebody is following you. You, so that is why we need streetlights. Now continue with all the gun violence. We need streetlights because we don't know if somebody is following us with a gun and then we get hit and nobody knows because it is too dark outside. We can't even see, but if we had street lights, they could see immediately, see it immediately. So now I mean, I mean, now I am, now I'm done with those three. I'm going to talk about liquor stores. We have, so, I mean, so basically, I have been hearing a lot of this, especially from my sister. There's 10 liquor stores. We don't need that many liquor stores. They have no grocery, no grocery stores. So then we have to walk out of Garden Hills and drive. Maybe we could have something that we can actually walk to, like a grocery store not liquor stores, grocery stores. So that is basically all I have today. That's basically all I have to say today. So thank you for listening and goodbye. Thank you. Please state your name and city of residence. Um, Tegan Schneider, um, Champagne. Hello, I'm Tegan, I'm 11 and I live in Garden Hills. Recently, I've been listening to city council and I've decided to write this, without any help, mind you. <laughs> anyway, let's begin. I've heard many people talk about the number of liquor stores and liquor licenses we have. In total, we have 21 liquor stores, and 10 within those, <laughs> we have 10 liquor stores, sorry. Okay, I got it wrong, 21 liquor licenses and 10 liquor stores. Not grocery stores, liquor stores. May I ask, does Garden Hills really need that many? I mean, I understand adults wanting to go have a drink, but do you need that many to have one? Do you need more of something that's causing violence just to get a drink? 
The answer is no, but I'm not sure if you see that, so we're trying to make it clear. Clear that we do not need 10, not even five liquor stores. And if our neighborhood had two or three, that might be okay, but 10? Not to mention those 21 liquor licenses. Is that necessary? I don't think so. I mean, I may not understand being an adult, but I understand enough to know that's ridiculous and unnecessary. There are other problems I'd like to address too, one being the street lights. At dark, no one's out, including me, because it's unsafe. The trees we have block the light and the moon from the stars. We like the trees, so we need street lights. I don't know why no one's listening. I mean, there's so many reasons why we need street lights, whether it's for safety or the fact that we've been asking for these for years, even before the recent shootings. We need them, period. The next problem is the non-existent sidewalks. I recently got a new bike and I haven't used it since. The reason for that is we have no sidewalks. We can't walk anywhere without looking for cars and in the winter when I'm getting off the bus, it's dark and snowy. When, while walking without sidewalks, my feet get wet and cold. When there's ice on the street, cars can ride around, slide around and maybe hit me. Maybe I could just fall on the street. I shouldn't be asking these things while walking home, but I do. Another thing, the drainage problem. In school, when I get off the bus, it's wet, it's wet everywhere. I'm stepping in puddles left and right. This is why sidewalks would probably help as well. But by the time I get home, my feet are cold and my shoes are muddy and wet. Another thing, the boredom I have every day. I normally just sit around with nowhere to go. There's barely anything for kids to do around town. I mean, I can't really even play outside. So maybe we should add some things to do. Oh, and it's even more hard to do stuff because of all the speeding. The next thing I wanna talk about, gun violence. I'm honestly scared about the gun violence and the fact that it went up 113% from last year. I repeat, 113%. The lack of sidewalks, the lack of street lights, the lack of drainage, and the abundance of liquor stores. All of these contribute to gun violence and the lack of safety in my neighborhood. Help us, help Garden Hills, sooner rather than later. Because I also wanted to point out that a friend of mine has lived here for about 50 years and has only seen some houses torn down. No progress, no progress except for that. Can we please make the next five to seven years count? Still, we might as well give up, but we don't. Even though we have been asking for these things for years, we don't give up. Even though we can't wait anymore, we do. You know why? Because we want this to be a good neighborhood and because we care. Do you? Well, to us, it doesn't seem like it. To us, it seems like you don't even think about any of the things we ask. To us, it seems as if kids like me don't even matter. That's why I came here today. That's why we all came here today. We all want our community to be better, safer, and more likable. We don't want our community to be known by all the shootings we have, but by all the great people we have living here. Maybe this time, you'll take these comments from me, an 11-year-old, to heart. That's the end. Thank you. Thank you. Please step forward. Besides a little bit of plagiarism from the younger one to the old one, they actually chose to do this on their own. 
they hear their mom and I talk about this when we come back from council or on other times when we're watching council or discussing things that we've had with conversations we have with city leaders, members, and they're interested. We watch the news and it scares them. Natalie is a nurse at Carl. She's not only a nurse, she works in management. She makes plenty of money. I'm a general contractor, own my own business, I make plenty of money. I asked her last year if she wanted to move out of Garden Hills. And she said she didn't want to. Not because we can't. It's because we're invested. We're invested in our home. We're invested in our neighborhood. And we're invested in our community. And as we've stood, stood and come here two and a half, three years ago, it would be a lie to say that, that there wasn't times we thought we could just move. We can do that. We have the ability. But we don't because we're invested in our community. Council member on this diocese talk about return to civility. Return to civility happens when this diocese takes advantage of investing in the community, engaging in the community, instead of arguing your point. I get some of your attorneys. And the civility comes when you have the ability to identify with the population in which you represent. And when you don't have the ability to represent with those people, you try. Not in words, but in actions. Or you say you don't understand what it's like. There's plenty of people in this diocese that have the ability to identify with my upbringing, but there's plenty of you that don't have the ability to identify with 80% of this community that you choose to represent. And if you choose to re-represent them, then invest in them, engage in them. Identify with them because you want to stand next to them. You've been given a privilege. Some of you have been lucky to be here. But I'll tell you what. If you don't use what skill or advantage you have to further this community in a positive way, for the majority, not the minority, for the majority, then give up your seat. I have faith 
that this council has the ability to do great things. Not good things, great things. Whether you choose to or not depends on the strong on this council. And not those who choose to ignore the lesser, the other half. If you can identify with somebody in whatever it is, choose that opportunity to identify with the people. You have an advantage. Pick that and invest in that idea in the community. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Hi, Eddie Pratt, Jr., resident of Urbana. Um, <clears throat> something that we're always reminded of, especially when it comes to uh, law enforcement and uh, you know our armed forces, that the price of freedom is death. It's also a popular saying of, uh, of a civil rights hero, Malcolm X said the same. Well, for weeks on end, I'm sure to some extent you're probably tired of hearing the same people say the same things. It doesn't make it that less relevant, but I would argue to say that the price of inequity is equal to the price of freedom. Inequity kills people in mass every day. Inequity is what we see in these streets enacting out constantly. These shootings happen where? In neighborhoods where people are making the median wage? No. They happen where people are living, surviving, let's, let's, let's just X that out because living and surviving are two completely different circumstances and dynamics. They are not the same. And if you've ever lived that experience, you would know that living and surviving are completely different. They lead to completely different circumstances, different choices, I want to clear the air tonight about a few things. So I've been minding my own business for the most part. And I've seen the, you know, the pictures going around in the comments and whatnot about my reactions to Ms. Overheim's and her daughter's comments last week. So I want to be frank. It's about as frank as I can be here, right? It wasn't so much that I reacted. The real reason why I actually would react to such a thing, the gross dehumanization of a person. We can't talk about unity or coming together or standing against racism while we still dehumanize people. It's one thing. And as I looked around the room, 
I saw everyone with a straight face and that disturbed me. And I thought to myself, has this gotten so perverse? Has apathy taken over to such an extent that these things don't rile people? They don't move people? How do you not react? It's hard for me to fake the funk when it comes to something like that. I mourn for the loss of that officer. I don't want anyone to ever feel that pain. No one deserves that. But we gotta call a spade a spade. We cannot at the same time mourn one and dehumanize the other. Two people died that night, all because of inequity. Where was that officer sent? What was the median wage of the people living in that area? Does it have a history of crime? You tell me. But at the end of the day, it's inequity that puts all these wheels in motion. We must deconstruct it. We must invest in the people. We must invest in, in, in infrastructure. These are proven to enhance quality of life and reduce gun violence and produce a safer work environment for our police so that they can carry out what they're needed to do in our community. Because black people do want that protection. Don't, you know, don't get it, you know, confused or anything. It's not the wild, wild west out here. Black people, just like anyone else, wants the same protection. And so I hope that that's where we're moving towards. Thank you. Thank you. If anyone wish to address the council, please step forward. Hello, my name is Brian Dunn from Champaign. Uh, I've done a lot of research over the past couple of weeks, and I want to thank uh, city staff who I've talked to about this. I've talked to a lawyer about this, and it's more clear to me now than ever that there are no legal or technical barriers to us having a hybrid model allowing both Zoom and in-person public comment. The only barrier is the lack of policy from city council allowing such a thing outside of the emergency orders. So once again, I just want to ask that we please, my glasses are so fogged up. I just want to ask that we uh, instate a hybrid model. On Mondays, I have to inject a medicine into my body, and the sole purpose of that medicine is to suppress my immune system. And I don't know if Tuesday, when I come in here, if these halls are going to be packed to the brim, you know, with back the blue. And I bet if we took some kind of survey, we would see a large overlap between back the blue and people who do not believe in getting vaccines. And I'm aware of that. And that is a deterrent to me coming to these meetings. And I'm, that's just one of a million different deterrents. You know, we, we, I've heard a lot of language from staff that we're somehow in a post-COVID society. We're in a COVID recovery. COVID's still going on. And you look at the numbers from Missouri, and you look at the numbers in Illinois for the regions bordering Missouri, and, you know, this fall is going to be messed up. And 
You know, I, I, I've heard it, you know, since March of 2020. You have nothing to worry about if you're not elderly or you're not sick. I am sick. Okay, I go to the hospital all the time. I'm constantly having cameras put inside of me. I'm constantly having bumps and random things taken off of me and biopsied. And I'm constantly changing my medications, getting new medications. And, you know, the city council is not just about me, but there's a lot of people in this community in my same position. And the fact that I know that the only thing stopping a safer, more accessible hybrid model is policy from the council, it's kind of like a slap in the face, you know? And so I just don't understand why we're not doing it. It's definitely something that we need to get implemented before the fall. And I just hope it's something that you all take seriously because public engagement is important. And I love seeing you know, kids coming up here and talking, but it's really hard for parents to get their kids into this building at a certain time on a school night. You know, If it was something like Zoom, it would just be, there's just a million reasons why a hybrid model would make our community better, would make people more involved, more invested, feel more enfranchised. And I just hope it's something that we can get done. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Hey, it's Krill from Champaign, and I just had one comment to follow up on Chad Smith's. He said that he chooses to live in his community even though he could live, leave if he wanted to. I'm on disability. I cannot leave. I am afraid of my community at this point. I sleep on the floor in my living room behind the brick wall of the lower part of my front of the house, so I do feel safer that I won't be shot. Yeah, I may deal with anxiety, and that may be a little over the top, but this is what my neighborhood has done to me. There are racing cars. I was out talking to a neighbor recently, had to jump out of the street, literally had to jump out of the street because they raced around a corner. I'm not comfortable where I am. I would leave if I could. I can't. So I'm hoping that as I get older, my family will have pity on me and find me a place to live because I don't think I can stay in Garden Hills. I do not like the stress, and I don't like the feeling that my city does not care. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Seeing none, council comments. Councilman McKayles. I do think... Um, staff and community for coming out because I think that it continues to put the focus and I even though um, the process is a lot slower than than uh, the process you know um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go towards some solutions that that I think that that are very helpful um, I want to I had a very um, amazing meeting with Neighborhood Services, um, and then I followed it up, followed it up by driving in some of these areas, um, made it a business as we talked once a week at least to go through some of the areas that we talk about frequently and just look at, you know, make mental and also obviously in our meeting notes about um, just how 
you know, you know, for lack of better words, property owners are taking care of, taking care of this stuff. And one of the things that I did see that I continue to is I saw, um, you know, clean up, trash cleanup was a big deal for me because a lot of the the um, the areas that we talk about, you see an extreme amount of of of, of trash, and some of it, you know, it's it's one of those things. I as we talked, if you own a business, I mean, you got to take care of your stuff, and 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 I put that on the I put that on the property owners. I don't, you know, yeah, I would say the, the tenants you're supposed to, but you know, if you go into any local business. You expect you expect to go to that business and they take care of their stuff, and um, so I did see some improvements, also some infrastructure improvements. I saw that that was pretty, you know, amazing. And it's not, this is not like, um, you know, I'm not like the the spy guy. It's just general observations that say, well, you know, these are things that the neighborhood residents can't do. You know, and so I did see some definite improvements in, um, in that area and want to continue to look forward to seeing that because um, that's a big deal. One of the things that we talk about is fresh fruits and vegetables, and I liked um, one of the speakers talking about engaging people in the SWIFT. We need to engage people uh, on this, um, this mobile food market. I don't necessarily know if a lot of marketing has been done around it, but they have been there. So uh, for all who don't know who the mobile food market is, it's basically a partnership. Um, I'll read it directly from the website. Um, and there you go. It just, MTD donated the bus and mobile markets funded in part by the Community Solutions Incubator Program of the Community Foundation of East Central Illinois and a Mayor's Innovation Healthy Babies Bright Future grant awarded to the city of Champaign Township one of seven cities in the country to receive funding, which is a big deal because it's just like, it's a nice bus. It's a new, you know, it may be not a new idea, but it's pretty innovative in that there's this bus that has all of these, you know, fresh fruits and, and, and vegetables and the things that we're talking about. Um, they are strategically located around the city. They have a website if you want to just Google mobile food market champagne. They um, actually, twice a week, um, they, they rotate pretty frequently. So um, they rotate between the Illinois WorkNet building, Church of the Living God, uh, Mount Calvary Baptist Church. Now, I recognize that just because you put a mobile food market and just because there's a need for fresh fruits and vegetables, that people aren't just going to, first of all, like what is the mobile food market, right? And then number two, um, it goes to a common conversation that we've had for, for decades. If you're used to um, eating out of a can, which, you know, let's just face it, convenience stores, they sell a lot of stuff out of a, you know, you know, it's not, it's no different than when I grew up, you know, eating flaming Hot Cheetos, even though my parents didn't know I was supposed to be eating flaming Hot Cheetos for breakfast. But, you know, some kids eat flaming Hot Cheetos and Mountain Dews. That is like their breakfast, right? So it is some training. We can't just put stuff up and say, dang, the community um, didn't show out and show up. And so that's why I really wanted to talk about it, and not just in the city chambers, but just in general, because 
I think this is a big deal. And what I know about, I mean, I'm not the, the top, you know, definitely not the top businessman of the year, but I know that demand drives more. But what I do know is lack of demand, lack of is, those are the type of things that this thing could go forth and be something that we do year after year, or it could be something that, you know, it says it's not, we're not going to do it any. We're not going to do it anymore because it's not a demand for it. When we know there's a demand, it's up to us as as community members to to push this really really hard because it's a big deal. Um, Dr. Will Patterson did something today. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. We definitely. I know the city as a city. We everybody knows Dr. P, but the impact that he has been blessed with to be able to go into a community and to talk to people about um, how to do music production as well as STEM or STEAM. And, you know, having people, not just people in, in, in you know, with, with suits and things like that, but just, man, can I say the word brothers? Just brothers, just show up the right, I mean, because we talk, we talk a lot about kids being engaged and involved. We talk about career development and things like that. But the reality is, if I don't see anyone that, that looks like me, and I'm not even talking about suits, and I'm, t- I'm talking, not even talking about skin color at this point. I'm talking about someone that I can identify with. And today I saw a brother with Jay's, and he had his natural on, and you know what? He was doing his thing. He had just programmed, built a car. He built a car from 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 ground up. It was like with a little race car, RC cars, and the looks on those kids' faces was amazing because they believed. They believed that they could be a part of that process. They could believe that they could. They could, and it's not just one time. You can't just do something. You know, one time and you, you can't do it. You have to do it over and over and over to reinforce the belief that this is a program that I could be a part of. And so um, just seeing that was 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 amazing. Um, just seeing and I thought um, when they and I literally thought when they introduced, I said, brothers are not going to be out here on the skateboard. But you know what? Kids are adventurous. And so this goes beyond ethnicity. And so you saw kids on skateboards. You know, they had all the little, uh, all the gear and protective gear and all that kind of stuff. But it made you think that, wow, these are the possibilities. Um, it still goes, when, you t- when you're talking about changing mindsets, engaging people. There was, a, there was a guy out there. It must have been 150 degrees. I promise you, with the extra degree, 151 and he had on a long sleeves, long pants, a jacket, a ski mask. And so being able to engage and be like, number one, bro, are you hot? And two, because the average person would just say, man, I'm, what's going on? But we have to be able to engage. And engagement means having conversations with our neighbors and talking to them because, you know what? You know, maybe 
he was the another guy, and I don't know, another guy came up, and guess what? He was watching the RC, the cars go down, go down, and, and 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 engaging. And so it is about engagement in our, in our process, and not just when I say process, I'm not talking about city council. I'm really talking about engagement in our community. My son said something. I wrap up um, that. Um, you know, when I asked him to, uh, you know, I asked him a couple uh, last week, the news wanted to talk. And I said, I really, you know, let my son talk. And he said something that threw the news reporter kind of like, wow, did he just say that? And as his dad, I was like, yeah, he just said that. So he asked him again. And he said, tell us about how violence is impacting you as a youth. And he said, yeah. I'm concerned. I'm, you know, concerned about it. But we're going to, and and this isn't typical Will Kyle. Maybe it is, but it's typical of Titus Kyle's. He said, "We're gonna live our life, and we are we are not gonna be afraid because as we when we are afraid, and he goes on runs and plays bat, and then after to back it up, he went into the court, Douglas Court, and played basketball." And I think that anxiety hits us all differently. And maybe this is the beauty of youth because you believe. And as you get older, you start saying, stuff ain't going to never change. <laughs> maybe that is. But I think that if he could be bold, Garden Hills people are bold. And while we don't always agree, you know, but people say however they talk. You know, that's, it is what it is. But you're, I get to understand the sentiment of what's being said. And I extract and take away, and I know that we all extract. People say however they want to say it. That's just the way it is. But you all are bold. And taking that boldness to doing what you always have done. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. You're not going to get a lot of takers for the 8 a.m. cleanup. You know, you're talking about younger people. It's probably not going to I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But continuing to engage you know, I don't even know why it's a north side of Garden Hills and a south side of Garden Hills. I don't even know. I know why it exists, but I'm like, wait a second. You you mean I take three steps, I'm on the north side, and I take three steps, and I'm on the south side? <laughs> That's crazy to even talk about. But I get it. I understand it. I don't like what I always understand, but whatever, never the case, just continue to 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 go out. And what I learned today more importantly than, than, you know, the community activity, it was the constant engagement. And I think that's what changes people's lives, is to know that, you know what, we may come from different opinions, different thought processes, but we're going to continue to engage with one another. And, yeah, it's, it's some of these, some, you know, just as just as interesting as it may be to engage with a guy with a ski mask and a jacket and a pair of pants and it's 155 degrees sometimes on the other side it's just as different for young people to engage with people that look differently from them you know I remember driving when I used to do my Amazon flexes and a guy had, like, the, uh, the Confederate flag, like, all on his door, everything. And I'm like, dang, do I got to drop the package off in his house? 
so I think engagement goes both ways. Risk goes both ways. A lot of these uh, guys that we talk about um, are our neighbors. And when we start talking to them on a community level, because government typically does happen slower than we all want, doesn't mean that people don't care. It means that I, I wish it could happen faster. I'll push to make it happen faster. I think we all p- push to make things happen faster. But never the one thing that we can't not stop doing is to continue to not just in, to engage and to continue to, to talk and conversate and realize that, you know, as I was driving around Garden Hills, the one thing that really kind of got me thinking and seeing, I was like, dang, you know what? There are, don't laugh at me. I think I'm getting older. I said, there are sure like a, I mean, there are some manicured lawns on here. And I'm thinking like, you know, that really talks to the spirit of a neighborhood when you see on the south side, I guess, and the north side. That really started, like, we have some great points. And I think that we have to bring out those bright points. And we can't floss over the points that we don't like. We can't floss over the street lights. We can't floss over the, the signs. We can't. But in order to keep us going, and I'm not talking about city council. I'm talking about people. Keep you going. We do have to highlight what's working and then we still have to work, highlight what's not working. And I think that that gives you more encouragement day in day, at least it does for me, to, to, to take another step and take another foot. So um, just a couple of things, maybe long-winded, um, but nevertheless important to, I think, at least to talk about. Anyone else? Um, I just wanted to take a moment um, to speak to the idea that just because you don't see us where you want to see us, that we haven't been there or that we're not engaged. Um, and I think most people know that mayor in the city of Champaign is a part-time job. Um, I have another full-time job, and I've traveled the last few weeks for, for that job. Um, I have been to the basketball camp, <laughs> conference, I'm not going to say it right, conference, um, in Garden Hills. I've spoken to the kids. Was I there this time? No, I wasn't there. Does that mean I don't care? No, it doesn't mean I don't care. I've been to cleanups in Garden Hills. The last few heavy rains, I've actually driven through both north and south, checking on what's going on in the streets. And I think it's important for you all to know that there is a lot that goes on that, you know, you, um, you can get frustrated with us and you make assumptions about us um, and you um, accuse us of making assumptions about you. So we need to take the time to understand all of you and the requests that you have and the concerns you have for your neighborhood, we're trying to do that. I would ask you to also take a minute to think about the fact that um, beyond mayor, this is an incredibly part-time job for a bunch of community volunteers who I believe have their heart and soul in this. And you may not agree with every decision or how we handle things, and we certainly make mistakes, 
but I really feel like this council is working awfully hard to address a lot of things. And as Councilmember Kyle said, we're not doing it as fast as everybody would like, but we really do have a study session coming. And you can come every week and ask us about it. That's great and remind us because it's important. But also remember the study session is coming. We do care. And if, um, if you need to hear that from us every week, we can return that to you as well so that you understand that we take you seriously and we do um, so with that I think we need a motion for closed session yeah your honor I make a city, oh, oh I'm sorry. city manager, city I, manager. I didn't give you your shot oh so you still have comments no I said you do you, you, have you do I'm so sorry um, under ordinary circumstances I'd let this go um, but you know, one of my roles when employees retire is I usually get to give the city manager speech. Um, Marilyn's one of those employees that is too humble to have a big speech. Um, and I know that the council did your honor of her at the beginning, but I'm not gonna let you get out the door. <laughs> I impressed upon you, you had to work your last city council meeting um, because I'm gonna say this out loud. Your colleagues here at the city are going to miss you greatly. You have been an amazing friend. You've been hardworking. You've been steady, calm. You have led your peers with graciousness. You have been a quiet support to people when they needed a shoulder to cry on or some motivation. You have always been there for us. And beyond 31 and a half years of a career that probably no one will ever match you in as a future city clerk, my friend, it's the human being that you are and the heart that you have um, and the tears we're all going to choke back when you turn the lights off in that office on Friday. I wish you every happiness as you go out into the future um, and that the life you lead from here on out returns to you all of the gifts and rewards that you have given to others in your time here at the city. So thank you. I think you had something else. No, Your Honor. We'll just, uh, we have a closed session, so we'd ask for a motion tonight. Okay. All right. Uh, I make a motion to adjourn to closed session to discuss pending litigation, followed by adjournment. Second. All right. Clerk, please call the roll for the last <clears throat> time. Last time. <clears throat> Councilmember Enriquez? Yes. Kyles? Yes. We're here. Can't figure this out. <laughs> Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. And Mayor Finan? Yes. We are recessed to closed session to be followed by adjournment.